0: Hi, welcome to Lighthouse Vineyard Church. Thank you for joining us. If you would like to know more about us, feel free to visit us online at lighthousevineyard.church. Enjoy the message. Hello, everyone. My name is Clint Schwartz. I'm the lead pastor here at Lighthouse. Thanks for joining us today. And if you're watching online, thanks for tuning in as well. Hey, I wanted to give a quick update on our Beautiful Thing offering. It's what we did last weekend It was part of our Palm Sunday worship to come and offer a beautiful thing, offering to help pay down the debt of buying this building, which we're so excited that we were able to buy this building at the end of last year. So anyway, here's the the numbers that came in. So we had $52,581 that came in, which is super exciting. Yeah. And so we're uh, setting aside 10% to go to the, the children over in the Dreamland in Africa And then so we have $47,000 that we're going to be putting down on the principal of our loan. And so our new loan balance uh, later on this month when we make this payment is $220,000. So that's pretty exciting. When we consider just in January, we bought the building for $350,000. So yeah, so we're doing pretty good. Now, if anyone here wants to uh, help us get below $200,000 by running a $20,000 check today, uh, you can just do that and put it in the offering box, Mark Building Fund. Thank you in advance for that. Um, Also, um, we were able to send $5,000 over to Africa this week uh, to pay for 16 students uh, their tuition to go to school. And uh, so that's super exciting uh, that we set aside, you know, 10%, 5,200. And then this past week, we were able to send five grand over there to help them with their school. So again, thank you so much for your generosity. It helps us to be generous to those who are in need. Now, next week we are starting a new message series titled Empowered. And I'm really excited about this. This is a message series about the Holy Spirit. And we're going to be spending about five, I guess about six weeks talking about different aspects of the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit empowers us. Now, this is the first time that we as a church in the five years we've been a church, uh, that we have actually done a uh, Vineyard USA message series. So, uh, vineyard USA has about 500, uh, 550 churches here in the United States, and they typically don't send out like message series or, or do anything like that. But Jay Pathak, the national director, asked the Vineyard churches if we would consider doing this uh, message series between Easter and Memorial Day, and that we would all kind of do it together because the Holy Spirit, the, the the power and presence of the Holy Spirit is really what the Vineyard um, movement is known for. And so he's asked us to do this series. And so we're jumping on board. We're going to do this for the next uh, six weeks or so. And, uh, and I was thinking about it in the sense of um, our word for the year is commit. You guys know that. And, and this is really part of being committed to the Vineyard Movement is to jump on board and be part of this. So I'm actually pretty excited about it. So hopefully you guys will be here uh, starting next week as well. All right, so to start out today's message, quick question, do we have any Star Wars fans in the house? Let me see. Yeah, we have. Come on, man. There should be more than that, right? I mean, there should be more, but yeah, I'm excited. Uh, I'm a huge Star Wars fan. I started watching them back in the, what, the 70s, 80s, and this is the first three that came out, right? The first one is A New Hope, but we only knew it as Star Wars. We didn't know it as A New Hope back then, and then you have The Empire Strikes Back and then Return of the Jedi, Again, I'm a huge Star Wars fan. I had a nickname in high school that went along with this. My nickname was Skywalker. That was my nickname, and I like to say it was because I could walk on the sky when I would jump up and, you know, dunk the ball. But I couldn't actually dunk the ball. But anyway, so in basketball. But it wasn't because of that. It was because when I was in, I think eighth grade, in study hall. Me and my buddies would do pretend lightsaber battles, right? You know, we would do the, we'd even make the noise, because there was no play ones. You couldn't actually buy, but it was like, we'd do this thing. And so um, my, my daughter uh, and uh, her husband um, put together a video of a time when I was telling that story when I was preaching at another church. And so they put this video together. Why don't you watch this? <laughs> I love that. I love that. Now, that last part probably went too fast, right? So I'm going to read it to you because I love what that says. It says, Pastor Clint Schwartz, father, husband, and Jedi master, over during his battle, rebel children managed to steal secret lighthouse plans to his ultimate weapon, the light star. An armored Jesus station with enough power to bring life to an entire planet, he, ho- he hopes to race home aboard his starship, custodian of the stolen plans that can save his people and restore freedom to the galaxy." Isn't that awesome? Now, what I love about that, I don't remember if they knew that we were starting Lighthouse Church, because that was before we started the church here or not. Um, but hey, we're now all part of what the, the light base or whatever we call that. <laughs> yeah, the light star. That's we're all part of the light star today, which is super exciting. Now, there are a ton of Star Wars TV shows and series and movies today, right? I mean, it's it's hard to keep up with all of them. And I I tell you, I love most of them, but there's one that I, I just don't like. I watched it once and I will not watch it again. Anybody know what it is? It's this one right here, Rogue One. How many of you have seen Rogue One? All right, for those of you that haven't seen it, you didn't miss anything. I'm gonna tell you. I'm gonna tell you the whole movie, the plot and everything right now. You know, just gonna break it all. So for you. So if you don't want to know about it, just plug your ears. But this is a terrible movie. Let me explain it. Let me explain it. So the two stars of the movie are Jin and Cassian, and, and it starts out well, right? They lead the rebel forces to steal the plans for the Death Star, and then they send it to Princess Leia, and that's happening right before the Star Wars, the New Hope episode. And so like in, in that episode, Luke Skywalker gets the plans, and he ends up blowing up the, the Death Star because of it. Sounds great, right? But listen to how this stupid movie ends, all right? (laughs) Tarkin arrives with a Death Star and fires the super laser to destroy the compromised base. While the blast overshoots the base, it nonetheless triggers an explosion powerful enough to guarantee the death of everyone in the vicinity. Jin and Cassian knowing they have no means of escape, await the approaching blast on a beach near the base. In their final moments, Cassian assures Jin that her father would have been proud. And seconds later, the blast incinerates them along with the base. They all die, like all of the heroes, the people you've, you've gotten attached to, these wonderful people. They're dead, just all gone, all gone. It's a terrible movie, don't watch it. <laughs> I like movies they have good endings, right? I, I don't like movies like that. Here's here's some more movies I would just tell you. If you haven't seen them, don't bother, okay? So the first one's The Boy in the Striped Pajamas. Don't watch that, everybody dies. I mean, the other one, Marley and Me. If you're a dog lover, don't watch that, all right? And then The Curious Case of Benjamin Button. Terrible endings, all of them, don't watch any of them. Now, last, last night, my wife and I were, were at home and we have Amazon Prime and I was like, hey, let's watch a movie. And, and you know how there are actually no good movies on Amazon Prime, right? You know, so we're, we're looking through, and we find this one called Ithaca. And uh, we're watching it, and it's just a terrible movie all the way through. And we're like, it has to end well. you know, There's got to be some redeeming factor in it. And at the end, everyone dies. It's just terrible. I mean, it's like, no, it's a terrible movie. I like movies with good endings. How many are with me? Right, right. So we like Rocky right? Those are good endings. We like the Rocky movies. Top Gun, good movies, right? The Marvel movies, most of those have good endings. So most of us like movies with good endings. If, if you don't, we'll pray for you after service, okay? There's something probably not quite right. Anyway, but, but if you like happy endings, you are in the right place today because today is Easter Sunday. And this story has a happy ending. Now, it didn't start that way. The, the Easter story actually started as a tragedy, right? The hero is betrayed by a good friend. He is arrested. He is beaten. He, there's, there's, there's a sham trial, and he's convicted to death, and he ends up being murdered on the cross. It's, it's a terrible story, especially if it ended right there. But the story has a happy ending, and and why is that? Because there is a resurrection from the dead. Our hero rises from the dead. Now, without the resurrection, the story really would be a tragedy. It would be like a Rogue One-type movie, right? But with the resurrection... It is simply the greatest story ever told. So today, we're going to look at the significance of Jesus rising from the dead, what we call the resurrection, and many of us know as Easter Sunday or Resurrection Sunday. We're going to talk about that. You can turn in your Bibles to John chapter 19, verse 31. We'll also have the scripture up on the screen as well. Mm-hmm. So Jesus has been arrested. He's been tried, right? And then he is crucified. Now, crucifixion was invented by the Romans to deter any rebellion whatsoever because it was the most horrifying way to die. So they would nail you to a cross. Many times they would just hang you from the cross. And you would be hanging on this cross for 24 hours up to three days and just hanging there Dying a slow, painful death. And after you died, they would leave the bodies on the cross as just, again, as a warning to anybody else that would want to have an uprising against the Romans. And the birds would come and and pick at the flesh, and, and they would leave it there until there was really just nothing but bones left. And then they would take the bones and throw them into the garbage heap where they were just burned and disposed of. So Jesus is beaten. They put a thorn of crowns on his head and they've nailed him to this cross. And this all happened on on Friday morning, you know, just a couple of days ago. We call it Good Friday. And in the afternoon, the Jewish leaders have a party to go to around six o'clock. That's when they start their special Passover Sabbath celebration. And they don't want Jesus dying to ruin their party. They want him dead before this all happens. And so we're going to pick up what happens in John chapter 19 verse 31. It says, now it was the day of preparation and the next day was to be a special Sabbath. Because the Jewish leaders did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath, they asked, G- they asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. The soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus and then those of the other. But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of of blood and water. The man who saw it has given testimony, and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth, and he testifies so that you may also believe. So scripture, Scripture records that Jesus died about three in the afternoon. Right before the soldiers came to, to check to see if he was still alive, and they pierced his side with a spear to confirm his death. Now the reason why they wanted to break the legs of the people hanging there was because when you are being crucified, you start to, your, your chest starts to compress and you can't breathe as you're hanging there, and so you have to push up with your legs just to get a breath and so by breaking the the convicts' legs, they can't push up anymore, and so they they die by asphyxiation pretty quickly. So that's what the religious leaders wanted to happen. So the Son of God had died at this point. All right, but the story isn't over. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 27. We're gonna start with verse 57, and we're gonna read the story of the resurrection. As evening approached, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who had himself become a disciple of Jesus. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus's body, and Pilate ordered that it be given to him. Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, and placed it in his own new tomb that he had cut out of the rock. He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting there opposite the tomb. The next day, So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow, and the guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. I love that part. Greetings," he said. They came to him and clasped his feet and worshipped him. And then Jesus said to them, "Do not be afraid. Go tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me." And after this, um, Jesus is seen by all of the disciples. He's also seen by dozens and dozens of other followers. And at one point, there was I like four or five hundred people who saw him all at once. Jesus rose from the dead. His dead body came back to life. His heart began to beat again. His lungs began to breathe again. His mind began to think again. Jesus came back from the dead, and this is incredible. So that's our our message title today is The Incredible Resurrection. And I'm going to give us some reasons why we should celebrate it, why we should be super excited about the resurrection. But first, let me pray. Father, we come to you and thank you so much for your word. We thank you for speaking to us today. Holy Spirit, come and have your way in this place. God, I pray that you would give me your words to speak and that you would give us ears to hear what you have to say to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, you can fill this in on your handout if you would like. I'm going to give us three reasons we should celebrate the resurrection. First of all, we should celebrate the resurrection because he called it out. He called it out ahead of time, right? He predicted that this would happen. And that makes it just that much more incredible. We love it when somebody calls out an improbable situation. Now, he was calling out an impossible situation, but we love it when people do that. I was reminded of uh, the story back in 1932, when the New York Yankees were playing the Chicago Cubs for the World Series. And it was game three of the World Series. The score was tied four to four in the fifth inning, and Babe Ruth walked up to the plate. Babe Ruth walked up to the plate. Here's kind of an artist's rendition of what he did. But after taking a strike, he then points out to center field, calling out, that he was going to hit the game-winning home run. So he takes another pitch, and then the next pitch after that, he puts it out over the center field fence. The Yankees go on to win that game 7-5, and they sweep the Cubs in game four to win the World Series. Now, all of you Cubs fans knew that they didn't actually win that series, right? But yeah, so now the thing is, Babe Ruth had hit... um, you know, game-winning home runs before, but this one was special. It was special because he called it out, and it's known as one of the greatest call-outs of all time. Well, Jesus, Jesus called out that he was going to be killed, all right? He, he actually called out that he was going to be crucified. Now, that wasn't a, kind of a big deal because everyone knew that the the, the Pharisees and the and the teachers of the law, they all wanted to have Jesus killed. So you, you could probably predict uh, Jesus isn't going to live uh, to an old age. He's going to be murdered at some point. He had so many people that hated him. But more than that, he called out that he was going to die, but then he called out the impossible that he was going to rise again, and it was going to happen on the third day. In Mark chapter 9, it says this He's teaching his disciples. He says, Because he was teaching his disciples, he said to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him. And after three days, he will rise. But they did not understand what he meant and were afraid to ask him about it. So we might wonder, okay, did did Jesus just like tell that to a couple of his disciples? And was he kind of whispering it in the back rooms? No, he was telling everybody, hey, I'm going to die but I'm going to come back. On the third day, I'm going to come back. So much so that the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the teachers of the law, they knew it too. That's why they went to Pilate and said, can you secure the tomb? He said this in Matthew chapter 27, verse 63. Sir, they said when they were talking to Pilate, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days, I will rise again. So they They knew and they expected Jesus that he's going to rise again because he said it was going to happen. And they tried every way possible to stop Jesus from rising again, and and they weren't able to. Jesus called it out. So since he called it out ahead of time, predicted it, that makes the resurrection even more powerful. That's just the first point. The second point is this. We should celebrate the resurrection because it is a one-of-a-kind miracle. It is unique. It is incredible. There's never been a miracle quite like it. Jesus' body was dead. I mean, he was really dead. They pierced his side just to verify it. You know, you can just see the soldier coming up to him going, okay, is he faking it? You know, is he really dead? And so they, they take the spirit and they poked it in his side and there was a sudden rush of blood and water. And so medical professionals who have studied this account, they said, you know, what could have happened is that the weight of crucifixion and the weight of the sin of the world and the weight of betrayal, all of these things that he was carrying, in the end, his heart just burst. And it, there was a rupture that occurred. And so that would explain this rush of blood and water. But Jesus was dead. He was completely dead and he came back to life. Now, this isn't the only resurrection listed in Scripture. In fact, there are six resurrections that I found that happened before Jesus was resurrected. I'm gonna go through these. So the first one is the widow's son. This is in 1 Kings chapter 17. So this, this widow's son dies, and Elijah. Kind of lays on him and and he comes back to life. The prophet Elijah. And then there's the Shunammite woman's only son, same kind of thing. This this son comes back to life by Elisha laying on him and, and praying for him and having him come back to life. And then there was this time when this guy had died. And his friends were, were doing a, a funeral procession. They were taking him to the tomb. And then some raiders came in. And so they're like, well, what do we do with them? And they looked around and they found Elisha's tomb. And they threw him into, threw the body into Elisha's tomb and took off. Well, his body rolls down into the tomb and touches the bones of Elisha. And he comes back to life. I mean, that was the luckiest guy in the world, right? To have his friends desert him on that day. And he came back to life. <laughs> Well, then we have Jesus who raised a few people from the dead. First of all, it was Jairus' daughter. He's, he's going there to pray for her because she's sick, and she dies before he can get there, but she comes back to life. And then we had this other one where it's the only son of the widow of Nain. He's going into a town. It's called Nain, and there's a funeral procession happening, and he, and he has compassion on this widow because she's lost her husband. Now she's lost her only son, and so he raises this, this guy, back to life. And then, of course, many of us have heard of the story of Lazarus, who was a good friend of Jesus and had been in a tomb for four days, and and Jesus calls him back to life. And Jesus' resurrection is the seventh one recorded in Scripture, which I find interesting. Seven is God's number, right? Now, the first three resurrections had something in common. They all touched a prophet, okay? either Elisha or Elijah or Elisha's bones, but they all came into physical contact with a prophet. And the the, the next three resurrections all had Jesus calling them back to life, which I love that. Uh, Jairus' daughter, he says, little girl, I say to you, get up. And to the son of the widow and Nain, he says, young man, I say to you, get up. And to Lazarus, he cried out. He says, Lazarus, come out. So he spoke them into life. But when Jesus was killed and placed in a tomb, and it was sealed, there's a, there's a stone put in the front, and then there's, there's guards put out front of that to keep everyone away. There was no way anyone, no prophets could get to Jesus' body to resurrect it, right? Couldn't happen. And then all of his disciples had scattered They were nowhere to be found. They were afraid for their life. And so they weren't around Jesus' body or the tomb trying to call him out either. There was no one to raise him from the dead except for God the Father. God the Father came down from heaven with the power of the Holy Spirit and raised him back to life. In Romans chapter 8, it says this, And if the Spirit of him, talking about the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. He who raised Christ, God, the Father, from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Jesus was raised from the dead by God himself through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's unique. That's one of a kind. There was no physical contact. There was no person calling it out. God himself did it. So we should celebrate the resurrection because of that. It's a one of a kind. One of a kind. And here's our last point for today. We should celebrate the resurrection because it, and it gives us hope. <clears throat> it gives me hope. It gives you hope. Since the beginning of time, people have been afraid to die, right? I mean, people don't want to die. There's been a lot of, you know, talk about and, and scientific, money put towards finding a way to live forever, the fountain of youth, right? I even saw a recent article where scientists are saying, I think we found out how to stop the aging process. We can't reverse it, but I think we figured out how to stop it. And I would just say, it's it's not going to happen. God designed our bodies to live at the most for 100, 120 years. And then I I saw this statistic recently. It said 10 out of 10 people will die. Right? 100 out of 100 people will die. Every one of us is destined to die. But, I mean, that can be depressing. But Jesus' resurrection gives us hope. It gives us hope. Let me explain. His resurrection is the precursor to our resurrection. He is the forerunner of us coming back from the dead. Let me, let me read the scriptures. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. That's what we're talking about today. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, through Adam, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man, through Christ. For as in Adam, all die. That's that 10 out of 10 will die. So in Christ, all will be made alive. All will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ the firstfruits, so Christ will first. And then when he comes, those who belong to him. So those who belong to him, 10 out of 10, will come back to life, will be part of the resurrection. We call this the rapture. There is uh, a time in our future when Jesus will come back and he will raise to life all that have died. And then those who are alive in Christ, he will, we will be transformed in the twinkling of an eye and we will meet him in heaven to live with him forever. This comes from First Thessalonians chapter 4. Let me read it. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud, with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. That's the first, that's the resurrection. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. So it gives us hope knowing that if Jesus can come back to life, then we can come back to life. Those that have already died in Christ will come back to life, and we will be together in heaven for all eternity. And that gives us hope. Today is a day to celebrate that. So with that in mind, you don't need to take vitamins. You don't need to work out or eat right. (laughs) Don't worry about it, right? We're going to live forever. No, you really should do those things. You should prolong your life. (laughs) But if you want to live forever, it's all about being a follower of Christ. It's not about eating right and working out and those kinds of things. So that gives me hope. That gives us hope. So those are our three points for today. We should celebrate the resurrection because he called it out. It's a -a one-of-a-kind Miracle and it gives us hope. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up back up here. Um, we're going to finish with a song talking about Jesus as our King, but I want to read this quote before we start. It says the resurrection culminates the passion narrative in all four Gospels because it is at the center of redemption itself. Without it, one can only pity Jesus as a dead martyr whose lofty ideals were sadly misunderstood. With it, one must stand in awe of the exalted Messiah, the son of the living God, who gave his life as a ransom for many, who presently reigns at God's right hand and who will one day return in glory to fix this broken world. Let's all stand.